Good morning, good morning. My name's Wayne. I'm so glad that you're here today. And uh, we're continuing in our series of the book of Acts. And so if you would go ahead and turn in, turn on your Bibles to Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8. Here's the question of the day. How can I know God's plan for my life? How can I know God's plan for my life? It's the way the Lord really has directed me in preparation of the message, probably unlike any of the other uh, teaching pastors today. So if you want to hear there, it'll be a different message if you go, though, though it'll be the same uh, scripture, same points. Uh, today, I, I just really feel led. There's um, probably very few questions, if any, that are asked of a pastor more than that question. How can I know God's plan for my life? And this passage, this story today in Acts chapter 8, I really believe answers that question in the most elementary and simplest of ways. And so as we walk through, I think you're going to find um, it, it's pretty helpful to all of us. Uh, in chapter 7, it closes out with Stephen, who was a deacon, appointed a deacon in Acts chapter 6. If you remember, they called out from among the body uh, those deacons. And, and Stephen and another guy named Philip were two of the, the deacons appointed. So, so after chapter 6... Chapter 7 closes out with a deacon named Stephen being executed at the instruction of a man named Saul. Not a real motivational speak to become a deacon, right? I mean, that's pretty tough. You get elected a deacon, one chapter later, you're, you're dead. That's pretty tough. But, but that was the nature of the ministry that we're reading about in, in the book of Acts. But as, as a result of this stoning of Stephen, we see that chapter 8 opens up with great persecution, generally speaking, uh, against the whole church. So it's not just isolated, an isolated incident with Stephen, but this is a big problem. This is a big problem. In Jerusalem particularly, persecution breaks out among all Christians. And as a result, we see uh, in Acts chapter 4 and 5, I'm sorry, Acts chapter 8, verse 4 and 5, that the Christians run. They actually are scattered uh, across all Judea and into Samaria. Um, last week, Will effectively preached this passage, but I want to read verses 4 and 5 again, because in Acts chapter 8, verse 4 and 5, it says, Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. So, so interesting. In the midst of persecution, they actually scattered and were continuing to share the gospel everywhere they went. So Philip went down, it said, to the city called Samaria. And what did he do? He proclaimed to them the Christ. So this may seem simple. You're reading the book of Acts. I know you're reading scripture and you're sitting here going, well, that's what the Bible should say, right? That's what... That's what deacons should do. That's what disciples, followers of Jesus in the book of Acts should do. That's the way the Bible should be. But we never really tie this to the plan of God. But I think we're going to, I think today it's going to be super easy to, to grasp the parallel and how the application is clear to us. Now, whether we apply it in our lives and we take it home is completely up to us. But last week uh, we had a message, verses 9 through 25 from Will, um, where an awakening was taking place in Samaria. And so as a result of the persecution, Stephen is, is killed. Uh, Philip, among all these other Christians, run for their lives. 
And in particular, Philip runs to Samaria. And in Samaria, he sees a ton of people saved. So God's working in a very uncommon way in a very unlikely place. Samaria, enemies of the Jews. And so even though these were Christians, they were Jewish converts. And so Jews didn't like Samaritans. Samaritans didn't like Jews. They're very discriminatory against each other. Yet we see God working in a crazy way. Philip, running for his life, goes to Samaria and continues to share the gospel, which got Stephen killed. And as a result of his obedience, we see God working in a remarkable way. And so it's impossible to, to really emphasize the importance of this passage. But I, I want to go and give some foundational principles that are reminders up to this point in the book of Acts, but especially we see to be true here in chapter 8 before we dive into the new scripture today that will begin in verse 26. Here's the first overarching principle. Uh, this is an example of how God often uses the strength of the enemy to accomplish his own purposes. Now, I love strategy. I'm like a, if, I, if you study leadership, you know, vision, strategy, I'm wired to be a strategist. I just love game plans. I, would, I, I love like football coach and, and that kind of idea of like college football. In, in that kind of realm, thinking strategy and, and winning a game in a competitive sport of some kind, generally speaking, the best coaches do what they can to, to discover the weaknesses of the other team and then execute, you can tell I'm an Alabama fan because that's all Saban ever says, execute the game plan. What's the game plan? To exploit the weakness of the opponent. This is just simple strategy, all right? So that's how we think. That's how we build our case and that's how we establish a game plan. God does not think that way. It's really crazy. God actually oftentimes, and especially in the book of Acts as we're walk, walking through this story after story, God somehow chooses not to use the weaknesses of the opponent against them for his glory. He takes their strengths and he actually uses the strength of the enemy to accomplish his plan. That's crazy. But we see that happening right here because persecution breaks out against the church in an effort to stop the progression, the spread of the gospel. And as a result of this persecution, what happens? The gospel spreads and people get saved more. I mean, this is a perfect example of what we're talking about. Then secondly, it's important that we don't look at this like a random chaotic dispersion of Christians. This is not a random chaotic dispersion of Christians. Instead, it's a divinely purposed progression of a plan. Now, for us, if we were there, let's say, let's put ourselves in Philip's uh, shoes. I'm not saying that Philip knew the plan. I'm not saying that Philip even wasn't genuinely running for his life. And, and so Christians were, were definitely being scattered. But what we read on a page and we see as a chaotic dispersion, God absolutely was orchestrating in a purposed progression. And in our lives, we may not want to see this totally just, it literally lays on top of it, guys. This is your life. You may be living in what you think is a chaotic dispersion. <laughs> I should get some amens. I mean, you may just be like, this is crazy, man. This makes no sense. I don't understand what's going on. I don't understand this plan. What's God doing? I don't understand the next plan, next step, next turn. And God is orchestrating it. What is that? That's Romans 8. I mean, Paul totally told us in the inspiration of the Spirit that God is actively working all things for the good of those that love God are called according to his purpose. This is what he means. 
So it doesn't mean if you randomly do whatever you want to, God's going to bless it. But it does mean when you are following God and you are living in obedience to him, that he is going to use you. He's going to, he's going to make all of those things work out for your good in his plan. Remember, you love him and you're called according to his purpose. So if you're not loving him or living for him, forget it. But if you're loving him and you're living for him, then he's going to work things out in your life. That doesn't mean you won't get stoned. That's not very attractive, Wayne, right? I get it. I mean, Stephen died because he followed the plan of God. But God worked, God was working it out for his good. How is it good for Stephen to be stoned? Because that brought God glory. And in the strangest of ways, it actually started this persecution in Jerusalem that God used to progress the gospel. And so for us to really answer the question, how can I know God's plan? It's not going to be the answer that we really want in our flesh. Because what we mean when we say, how can we know God's plan for my life? What we mean, back to Will's message last week, we mean how can I know how I can accomplish my plan and still make God happy? How can I turn the way I want to turn, do the things I want to do, be the person I want to be, and God still put his stamp of approval on it? That is not the way it works. Let me remind you of the declaration Jesus made in Acts chapter 1 verse 8 because this is really going to be cool. I hope you'll get this. You, you, he says, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. So what we're seeing in Acts chapter 8 is literally the fulfillment of the prophecy of Jesus in Acts chapter 1 verse 8. You will be witnesses to me where? Jerusalem. That's where they were. In all Judea, that's where they went when they scattered because they were being persecuted, and in Samaria, and then the ends of the earth. We'll see how that even is fulfilled in just a moment. And so, even in the scattering of Christians by persecution, verse 4 and 5, we see the fulfillment of God's plan, Acts 1-8. They are becoming witnesses in all Judea and in Samaria. So let's pick up there. That's all kind of introductory ideas and we're going to walk through a lot of scripture, but I'm going to stop you along the way and we'll talk a little bit about it. But look at verse 26. Acts chapter 8, verse 26. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and he went. There was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. And he came, or he had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning seated in his chariot and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. So it's important for us to see real quick, the angel interrupts an awakening. I don't think we need to miss that, that Philip was doing a good work. Philip was seeing success. Philip was seeing God do some amazing stuff. We said a few weeks back, success makes a mess. What was that in the text? Simon the magician comes up tries to manipulate things, gets confusing. The apostles have to come down, check it all out. Um, they straighten out Simon. Everything's cool and everything moves forward. But here's the thing we understand. God's using Philip where he is. So why would God move Philip? That's like the question. Why would God tell Philip to leave a multitude where people are getting saved and baptized to go find one dude? This is really is confusing. But he says to Philip, arise and go to a desert place. Not very attractive, right? 
go, rise and go to a desert place. What did he do? He got up and he went. And so with that, we pick up in verse 29. And the Spirit said to Philip, notice the first time it was an angel. This time, it's the Spirit, capital S, the Holy Spirit of God speaking to Philip. And I'm going to bring this back up in just a minute, but Spirit, I've said before, often a parallel in Scripture to the wind. And an illustration I want to really give you over and over today is that the wind is blowing. The wind is always blowing. We, we need a fresh wind of the Spirit of God moving in our midst. The Spirit is always moving. The Spirit is always blowing. Um, the Spirit is always speaking. And so with that, we see that oftentimes we have to make sure we're positioned, last week's message, and we're conditioned to hear the voice of God when he speaks. Not an audible voice, but we recognize where we go next based on the leadership of the Holy Spirit as we are living out obedience to him. Now, the angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go toward the south. Uh, I'm sorry, 29. And the Spirit said to Philip, go over and join the chariot. So Philip ran to him in the chariot, heard him reading Isaiah the prophet, and asked, do you understand what you are reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And the man invited Philip to come up and sit with him. I always say this. I, I, I totally find a lot of things in Scripture funny. Usually y'all don't think it's nearly as funny as I do. But this is one of those cases where I want you to just think about what we're reading. So Philip gets called to this guy in a chariot, and it never says the chariot stops, right? So Philip is running to the chariot, and he's having a conversation with a guy, undoubtedly through like a window or a door, while he's running. Now, last... On Easter Sunday, we had, a, we had capacity in here, and we had 100, over 150 people in the uh, North Auditorium. So this is the best illustration I can give you why I think this is hilarious. I ran over there, and during the bumper, by the way, the bumper's like 45, minutes, 45 seconds long. Super short, right? So I'm like, I'm over there. I want them to know, praise God for your willingness to give people seats in here. Thank you for being willing to look at me on a screen. By the way, the screen adds like 80 pounds, no doubt about it. Um, but I, so I'm like, thank you. You guys are the best. Appreciate you so much. I talk for like 20 seconds and I'm like, I got to run. And so I run across the lobby. I'm like going, Hey guys, all the security, whatever. Gonna, yeah. Up, up the team, up the steps. I get up here. I don't know if y'all are here, if y'all even remember, but I was going, you know, why is that? Because I put on a few pounds lately. I don't know if y'all probably don't know it, but I mean, it's, uh, I, and I recognized, I felt the difference, um, in those few pounds, uh, just in running across. So when I'm thinking about Philip, <laughs> I'm thinking he's running beside this chariot. And he's like, so what you reading, bro? You know? And the guy's like, oh, yeah, I'm reading Isaiah. You know, what's this mean? I don't, well, you know, I, uh, you mind if I, could, could I sit in the, in the chariot? Well, I mean, he can't even carry on a conversation. So this is really awesome. I love this. And so Philip finally gets a seat in the chariot. They're having a conversation. And that's where we pick up in verse 32. The passage of Scripture that he was reading was this, it was Isaiah chapter 53, like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter and like a lamb before it shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. Verse 33, in his humiliation, in humiliation uh, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation for his life is taken away from the earth? And the eunuch said to Philip, about whom uh, I ask you, does the prophet say this? What's that mean? Who's this talking about? About himself? Or is this about somebody else? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with the scripture, 
he told him the good news about Jesus. A couple things real quickly. And again, we haven't even got to the points yet. Um, Philip opened his mouth. That may seem like an insignificant truth, but you know why most people don't hear the gospel from you? Because you don't open your mouth. Why do people not hear the gospel from me the way that this guy heard it from Philip? Because oftentimes I know the spirit of God is speaking to me to open my mouth and I don't. It's, It's crazy. A lot of us Christians, if not all of us Christians, open our mouths when they ought to be shut. And we shut our mouths when they ought to be open. We open our mouths and speak about things that are so less important than the gospel of Jesus Christ. We've got a lot of stages. We've got a lot of audience. We've got a lot of opinions. And you better believe we share them. But usually our mouths are opened about things that matter very little compared to the eternity of the people you're talking to. And our mouths stay shut about the gospel. God forbid God forbid. What, what's the difference in a church God uses? They open their mouths about the gospel. They open their mouths about it. So it's simple. Opened his mouth. And then beginning with the scriptures. Listen, I, I, I want to minister to people's felt needs. want to encourage people. I hope that you think our teaching team is phenomenal. And they're good communicators. At the end of the day, if you think somebody's funny... And you think somebody's great and you think, oh, they're such a good community. I love when he said this. That story was great. That illustration was wonderful. And you missed the scripture. You missed the point. He began with the scripture. The only power we have, the only hope we have is found in the revelation of God. And so if a church or a preacher or a Christian leaves the word of God, we leave the God of the word. I hope y'all are all right. Y'all think I'll get awful quiet really fast. So if we look at this and we see there's some simple principles we pull away. I think it's interesting that Philip was called as a deacon in Acts 6. He was was preaching to many in Samaria at the beginning of Acts 8. And now he is in a a small one-on-one conversation with a guy from Ethiopia at the end of Acts 8. So we see one guy who is called to minister to the body of Christ to serve We see him publicly sharing his faith in a corporate environment like this. And then we also see him in a one-on-one conversation about the gospel. And I don't think this is like isolated, exclusive. Philip's like up here and we're down here. This This is what it looks like to follow Jesus. This is what it means to be a disciple. Is to be involved in serving people worshiping with people, seeing people come to faith in a corporate environment and grow in their faith, and then also having one-on-one conversations with people who don't know Jesus. If you're not doing those three things, you are not completely surrendered to Jesus. It doesn't matter what songs you sing on Sunday. It doesn't matter if you raise your hands on Sunday. If you're not obeying Jesus, you're not fulfilling the plan of God for your life. Oh, I'm just trying to figure out the plan of God for my life. The plan of God for your life is to follow him. The plan of God for your life is to obey Jesus. Now, here's the interesting thing. I, I'll, I'll give an example. Uh, GPS, all right? So GPS. When you get a GPS, uh, we went out of town. Amy and I were out of town in a, in a city that we'd really never been. We'd done layovers there, but we'd never driven in this city. And so I didn't know where I was going. Obviously going to enter um, in the destination my GPS and listen to uh, this British woman. I like the British voice. You know what I'm saying? 
It's just, uh, y'all not do that? I think it's, I love it. Uh, Don Wilton is a pastor over at Spartanburg. He could literally stand up and read a phone book. Everybody leaves saying, that's the best message I've ever heard in my life. That guy, why is it? Because he's got that voice. He's just got that accent. Everybody's like, ooh. So I'm like that way. I mean, she can listen to this woman, turn left, turn right. Some guys may say, all I do, I do, that's easy. I listen to a woman tell me what to do all the time. You know, watch out, watch out. Uh, so, so this, so this voice is telling me, turn right, turn left, turn right, turn left. And I'm following, but it's telling me all that based on the destination that I've entered in the GPS. Simple. We know that we all got that, but here's the thing. Even sometimes when I'm attempting to follow instructions, this may have never happened to you, but I'm going down the interstate, me and Amy together. We're both looking at the phone. We're literally both looking at the map and, and, and it's just a little confusing. It's saying, turn right in 800 feet. Well, I mean, when you're driving, you don't really know how far 800 feet, and there's multiple turns. So I'm sitting here going, Amy, is this the turn? Amy, is this the turn? Amy, was that the turn? <laughs> and then the phone goes, you're a moron. You missed the turn, you know, or something like that. And so I, uh, so recalculating, and what that means, next, it's always, I've never missed the turn where it's like the next turn's a block away to turn around. I missed the turn, it's like eight miles to the next exit. Praise the Lord. Amen. That's what you immediately think. Well, but Jesus, we're just on God's timetable. That's not what you think, right? You're like, come on, man. Well, so, so even I can intentionally be trying to follow the instructions and mess up. So as, here's the thing we got to remember as Christians. So I, th- I think people in this room all fall into one of these categories. Some of us just don't even pick up the GPS. We're doing our own deal. We're just like winging it. And we call that Christian. That's not following Jesus, and that is most often when we ask the question, I just want to know God's plan for my life. Just scratching my head. God's not speaking to me. (laughs) It's because you're not following the instructions, man. You're not even trying. Then there's other times where we literally enter the destination we want to go to, and we just miss a turn. I mean, we're trying, but we we just misunderstand or miss the turn. At the end of the day, though, this is what separates most of us from Philip and us, is that Philip literally was listening for the voice of God to tell him when to turn, and he turned. The wind was always blowing, but somehow Philip had learned how to put the sail up, and he wasn't fighting against the wind, but he was letting the wind lead him. He was letting the Spirit of God lead him where he was to go. We'll kind of come back to that in just a minute. But in verse 36, here's what, here's what happens. This is, this is so good. As they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here's the water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. So what happened to Philip? I have no idea. Poof. He may have disappeared. We don't know. Or maybe he was like, look over there. And then he ran. I don't know. But it sounds like something happened supernaturally and that Philip was just not there anymore. And and the Ethiopian guy was like, wow. And it says he rejoiced. Why was he rejoicing? Because God did some really cool stuff and he understood and he, he embraced this idea and concept of following Jesus with all of his heart. Before we go any further, and then I'm going to dive into these three application points so fast. Um, I really don't want to run away from this passage because as, as a pastor, I feel like I need to say it real quickly. Um, it'd be really easy to le- read this and not see the simple uh, application. 
There are some people certainly in here who are in a category that I just feel like we need to talk about. Someone who has surrendered to Jesus. They're a follower of Jesus. They're a Christian. Maybe come from a different background. Um, and, and they're good, godly people, love Jesus. Um, but, but after becoming a follower, they maybe feel like 100% part of the body here at Upstate Church. Um, but I, I believe it's easy for us to ask, ask the question, what forces me to obey the Lord? Rather than what prevents me from obeying the Lord. Specifically in the context of this passage, what prevents me from being baptized? Baptism, you could make excuses all day long and, and say, you know what, I, I'm, I'm 45 years old, dude. I, 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 was, I was sprinkled as a child or whatever. My family loves Jesus. I don't want to insult them. I'm a follower of Jesus. And so I'm, no, this is not at all for a debate. It's really more for um, a, a pastoral challenge from the Bible. There's never a word for baptism in Scripture that's not submerge or immerse not you're not gonna find that and so understanding that this is a really clear picture of a guy who's been he's made a radical decision to follow Jesus himself his parents didn't make this decision he made a decision to follow Jesus and his question was what prevents me from being baptized that should always be our question when when challenged to obey Jesus what's stopping me What's standing in my way of obeying Jesus completely? And I, I just, I feel like I'm responsible to share that with you. We shouldn't ask that question, what forces me? Why do I have to? It should be, what's stopping me from being obedient to God? Real quickly, three application points from this passage. First one, super simple. God calls for immediate obedience. God always calls for immediate obedience. And so, for example, that challenge I just gave you, if you feel the Holy Spirit of God convicting you and leading you, then May 14th is the next time we're doing baptisms. Amen? <laughs> A little commercial for you. So I, I, I'm serious in the sense that if I felt the Lord stirring my heart, I would step out in obedience on that. I would get online this afternoon and register. Because why would you wait? God calls for immediate obedience. Most of the time, though, we know what to do, but we struggle to actually do it. We like making excuses. Let me say this. Excuses hijack obedience. And, and as a result, excuses hijack blessings. So we don't fully live the life God has for us because we've made excuses that actually prevent us from obeying him fully. We obey him partially, maybe mostly. But when we don't obey him fully, then we're not going to be blessed fully. And we will stand there scratching our heads saying, what's God's plan for my life? And he's sitting there going, just do what I told you to do already. I mean, why are you making this difficult? I'm, I'm, I've already told you. Why, if, I, if, I've done, if I told you to do 10 things and you've done eight of them, it's incomplete obedience. And, and partial obedience is complete disobedience. And so with that, it's super important. We not, we not hijack God's blessings in our lives by disobeying him because excuses hijack obedience. Disobedience is nothing more than us choosing our plans over God's. Rebellion or refusing to follow Jesus uh, in, in obedience is, is ultimately simply saying, I know better than you, God. And I know what you're telling me, but I want to do what I want to do. And so we see immediate obedience from both Philip and this Ethiopian man. 
Philip hears rise and go. He gets up and goes. Uh, The Ethiopian man hears the gospel. He says, what's preventing me? What's my obstacle standing in, in the way of me following Jesus in obedience of baptism? And so with that, we see immediate obedience. But then secondly, application-wise, God determines the value of an opportunity. And I should say God ultimately determines the value. We, we do not, nor can we, determine the real value of anything. In our life, we get it all mixed up. It's like I was talking about with strategy. We may see it one way and we think, oh, that makes total sense. God rarely makes total sense to us. I mean, his ways are higher than our ways. We don't get it. We don't understand. In a lot of ways, it's because he sees things completely. We just see things partially. We see things like in the temporary way. God sees the big picture. And so we're sitting there, what's God's plan? He's like, I already told you. Just do what I told you to do. And if you'll do what I've already told you to do, then, hey, this is crazy. But next time you get to a crossroads, you'll, you'll know what to do because I've already told you you're following me. And so what I'm telling you to do with your life is to follow me. This is God's instruction, how we can know the plan of God. Do what he said to, go where he said to go, follow Jesus. That is his plan for you. God determines the value of any opportunity. So many times we'd we'd be like Philip and and everything's going crazy, amazing in Samaria. And we would get the leadership from the Lord through this angel. The angel says, hey, I know everything's going great, but uh, God wants you to go to this one dude in a chariot. So leave all these people, these multitudes who are chanting your name and clapping and thinking you're amazing and go find this one guy. Oh, by the way, it's in a desert. <laughs> I mean, I'm not, we're Philip. We're just like, nah, that's all right. I'm good. I, I'll, I'll stay here. I don't want to steal that blessing from somebody else, right? <laughs> we can spiritualize anything, man. So, you know, yeah, I think this is, I really feel like the Spirit's telling me to stay here, angel. <laughs> so, so you do your deal. We love to determine the value of the opportunity on our own. I'm just really trying to make a decision of where God's leading me. (laughs) You don't need to decide. I don't need to decide. I just need to obey. I just need to go where God tells me to go. And it doesn't always look the way you think it's going to look. But um, this guy, Ethiopian guy out in the middle of nowhere... Um, we, we couldn't possibly know this, but, but the, uh, our, one of our teaching pastors, Chuck Fuller, brought this up. Uh, he's such a great researcher. He, uh, he said that it's, it's a fact, historically, that Homer, historian, uh, referred to Ethiopia, this is super cool, as the end of the earth. So if you're thinking even from a Roman perspective, in the Roman era, when they ruled the world... Uh, and that's when Philip is chasing down this chariot and a dude in there from Ethiopia. He is fulfilling Acts 1-8 because he was a witness to Jesus in Jerusalem, in all Judea, and specifically Samaria. And now as he shares the gospel with this one guy from Ethiopia, a very influential, wealthy man, he is taking the gospel to the end of the earth. This is beautiful. It's a beautiful picture of God's plan and how God understands the value of every opportunity. And only he knows what's most important. And we need to yield to that. We don't need to try to figure out every step and every turn and every decision. We just need to listen to the GPS. And when he says turn left, we turn. When he says go, we go. When he says stop, we stop. The third and final point is super simple. God wants to use us to share the gospel. I'm gonna make it personal. God wants to use you 
to share the gospel. This is not exclusive to pastors. This is not exclusive to Sunday school teachers, small group leaders, deacons. It's not exclusive to super Christians. God is calling you to share the gospel, to share your story of life change, and to to know the word of God enough to communicate how he's changed your life. God calls everyday people to everyday obedience for every, every single one of us to take eternal life change to other people. That's ultimately what God's call is for everyone. That's what God's plan is for you as an everyday person to, to go in everyday obedience and take eternal life change to other people like this guy from Ethiopia. So there's no question, God wants to use you. But going back to this idea of the wind, you've got to raise your sails. I've been saying that a lot lately. It's like a few weeks ago, I feel like God kind of just gave me that in the middle of a conversation. People always say, hey, what's happening at Upstate Church, man? What's going on? I mean, I've been hearing this or that. A lot of people getting saved, more people than, you know, all that. So so when they ask that kind of question, it's important for all of us to always reflect. You remember last week, we were talking about the moon and the sun. Let's reflect the Lord Jesus to them and let's deflect any praise or, or credit because there's nothing anybody here is doing that's happen, making it happen. It's God. And so with that, here's what, what I always have started saying is that somehow we've just really, I think, learned how to raise the sails. The wind's been blowing. I, I believe that every church in America could, could grow. I really do. I mean, if this pastor, Ebenezer Number 9 Baptist Church, you know, and South Florida, wherever. Um, you may say, well, I just, sure, that's Simpsonville. That's Greenville growing like crazy or whatever. I believe every church in America can grow. I really do. I believe lost people everywhere could hear. I think the secret to what God's doing is, is definitely not great preaching. It's definitely not uh, superb leadership. I'm serious. It's, it's the Holy Spirit of God is working. God's doing it. God's moving. And I believe God's moving everywhere. I really do. And you may say, well, the wind, the wind is blowing. We don't see it always. We don't know it. When you're in the house, you, don't even, you may hear the shutters hit the wall and you'll be like, oh, the wind's blowing. But it's blowing even when you didn't hear it. The Holy Spirit of God is moving. The question is, are you lifting the sails? Are you raising the sails? And even if you are, it's kind of like the GPS thing. Even if you're trying to turn when he says turn, you're, you're going to mess up sometimes. Because I'd like to say, well, everybody who raises the sails on the sailboat is, is allowing the wind to, to lead them. In, in our case, raising the spiritual sails, we're allowing the spirit to, to move and to empower us. But listen, here's what I learned this, this last week, really researching sail, sailboats and sailing. I've never even been on a sailboat. <laughs> I am not an expert, all right? But what I've learned is, I I didn't know this. You can actually sail against the wind to some degree. Some of you who do a lot of sailing, you know this is true. They they call it tacking and wearing. And so you can go like 30 to 40 degrees backwards against the wind. And so you tack and you wear. You, You diagonally tack and you diagonally wear. You can't... You can't go straight into the wind, obviously, but you can twist the sails around so that the wind blowing this way, twist the boat to where you have power to go this way, you tack and you wear. 
And so it takes you a long time. It takes a longer time to go diagonally than it would in a straight line. And here's the thing about it. You're going somewhere, but you're not going where God's leading you. So you appear to be doing things right. Your sail's up. I'm depending on the Holy Spirit. Send a fresh wind, God. We, we want you to, 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 to move us. We want you to work among us. But all the while, we're going against the wind. We're fighting. Who's a biblical character that did that really <laughs> is famous for it? Jonah. I mean, Jonah knew which way to go, and he said, thanks, God, I'm going the other way. And he ran for his life. And it wasn't until he was in the belly of a well on the bottom of the sea that he got puked up on the purpose of God. That's pretty direct. I'm sorry. But yeah, that's what happened. I mean, he just literally, the fish delivered him into the plan of God. And so the, the easiest way, the most direct way to get to the plan of God is just to do what God says. And so many times in our culture, man, I mean, we've got so self-centered that we're trying to live our life. We're trying to do our deal. We're trying to go our way. We're trying to excuse sin and say, oh, I know the Bible says that, but. And then we're like, oh God, what's your plan for my life? His plan for your life is to obey his word. And so there's no wonder you're confused. I mean, there's no wonder you're scratching your head. There's no wonder you're unhappy. You're legitimately sailing against the wind. You're worn out. The, the mechanical structure of the boat will fall apart eventually because it's not, it's not easy to do that. And, and it's, easy, it's even more, more likely to capsize, I read, when you're doing that. It's, it's, it's really crazy. You're, you're, you're worn out spiritually because you're wanting to be in charge and you refuse to yield to the wind that's blowing you a very intentional direction. So how can you know the will of God? Surrender. I mean, that's the word we sing all the time and we love to sing it, but we don't like to live it. How can you know God's plan for your life? Give up. Surrender. Stop trying to make your own plan and go your own direction. Your, your destination is his glory. Your destination is obedience to the one true God. And at the end of the day, you can go your way, you can do your diagonal deal, and you'll be laying on your deathbed having lived a worthless life of insignificance. Your sails up the whole time. Purposeless. That is not God's plan for your life. God's plan for your life is to give up, surrender, say yes to him. Stop trying to figure it out. When you get to a crossroad, you don't know what to do. Ask yourself the first question, am I totally surrendered to God? Because if I'm not hearing from him, maybe there's something wrong. Maybe I've been fighting against this thing. Maybe I'm not following the GPS. Maybe I'm, I'm resisting the wind. So here's, here's the question. I think the major difference in Philip and what we see in Acts 8, and I believe what God has been doing recently at our church is that we have raised the sails and that we're allowing the Spirit of God to lead us. And that's corporately. But listen, individually, there, there's really no difference. I believe God will bless you. I believe God will use you if you will stop fighting against the wind and allow the Spirit of God to move you. So here's the question. So are you wasting time trying to solve the mystery of God's plan? See, we like to mysticize it. We like to make it a mystery. But listen, God's plan is not a mystery. It's a mission. God's plan is not a mystery. It's not a, he's throwing you in the dark and letting you figure it out as you go. No, it's a mission. There's an intentional destination and he's called you to obey him at every turn.
but you discover the plan of God as you seek the God of the plan. You discover the plan of God as you seek the God of the plan with your whole heart. So are you wasting time trying to solve the mystery of God's plan or are you living a life in total surrender to Jesus? That is the plan of God for your life. Lord, we love you. God, I pray today that we would not play games with you, God, that we wouldn't run away from clear direction that the Spirit is speaking to our hearts. But Lord, if nothing else, that the people in this room, if it's at the seat where they sit or if it's at this altar on the steps, God, that we would lay down our opposition to you, that we would lay down our resistance to your plan, that we would say at the very least, God, I surrender to you. I, I want to obey you every turn. God, would you be clear? Would you speak clearly? I need direction and I want to follow you. God, would you speak that? Challenge us and have us obey. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand?